welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode two. 181. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Bill, it's cold out. It's cold out. Uh, it's kind of warm in Washington right now. A little bit of uh, the first day of the public hearings of uh, this impeachment hearing. Didn't baby it's cold outside? That got me too, right? You can't say that anymore. It is. It is. Kind of, it is me too. It got me too. It can be a creepy, different versions of it. I feel like the whole thing is creepy though, right? I yeah, mean, well, it is. It yeah. is. I mean, there's. I don't, I don't know that you can get a non-creepy... No, well, yeah. Are there edited versions? I've heard. Well, I've heard versions where the woman is the one who's trying to keep the person. That's there. he too. He too. Yeah. So, but uh, I, James Taylor, when he does it, doesn't sound so harmful. He has a version of it. <laughs> Neither is Al Franken. Apparently, people thought you know, uh, it's different. <laughs> you know, your, yeah. So you're not on the chopping block. Yeah. So our approach to the uh, impeachment hearings and the great divisions within our country is to go to a 4th century controversy. That's Absolutely. <laughs> we got a lot of controversy today. The Republicans, though, it's a good strategy, I actually think. Because you say, look, we don't think he did it. But even if he did, we don't think it's, you know, you can't take somebody out for office. I actually think that's a pretty good, like, strategy. Yeah, yeah. Because well, then what do you do with that? Like, you spend time proving your case. If you do prove your case, they just say, wow, I mean, we said from the beginning we don't think it's an impeachment. Maybe it's not great. But I think that's pretty forgiven the hand you're dealt. Like you're, yeah. you're dealt like six eight offsuit. It's just about a half step from the George Constanza yeah. defense. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, was that wrong? We didn't know that was wrong. But don't you think also like because Americans are so cynical, right? And this is the genius to bring up the Hunter Biden stuff. Oh, sure, the, sure. Because people just say, oh, everybody's corrupt. They all yeah. do it. You just kind of get in a kind of. Everybody withholds military aid in order to attack a. <laughs> well, Mulvaney said they do it all the time. But you know, I'm just saying, it's you muddy the waters. Sure. You, you just say the dossier. Sure, yeah. Stuff. No. And eventually people just tune, ah, come on. You know, it's, I'm, you know tomorrow they'll start yelling Benghazi. Benghazi. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, don't you have to be a little worried if your A team is Nunez and Jim Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just saying. But I'm just saying, well, you don't really have to, like, when you have half the country, like what you have, no, the cable news channels. I, I think that like you don't. Yeah, and the people I know who really support the president are doubling down and and even you know only you know listening to the the um, the Trump propaganda machine. So I mean that's that's what they're doing, and uh, you know I mean you could probably you could say the same people you know who from the beginning saw him as an illegitimate president have you know I mean. I've been waiting for him to do something that was impeachable. I, I don't think he had to wait too long for that to happen, but uh, nonetheless, this is you know part of the very divided country that we are currently in. And you know, the truth of the matter is, we have a lot of times in our history that we've been pretty divided. I mean, I think um, you know, you just don't have to go to a full blown civil war. And in some ways, it, that that there were a lot of issues for that that never got fully resolved. But we we have always been a uh, even during the revolution, you know. We yeah, people guess the traditional guess is a third were for the revolution, a third were against it, and then a third didn't care. But regardless, there was a sizable uh, 
uh, portion of the population that, for religious reasons, didn't think you should re- revolt against the king of of our king of England. So from our very beginning, this has been a divided place. Uh, the election, Jefferson Adams election, was a vicious election. Uh, they became friends afterwards, uh, but um, yeah, but that's that, that, that's just a few instances that come come to mind. I mean. This country was close to social revolution a couple of different ways during the 20s and 30s as well. So, um, yeah, it's, there's been a lot of different times when we have not been uh, been very united. But I think partially now because of the immediacy of social media, of the fact is that you don't – you can choose to only listen to your side. Um, I think that makes everything – I think that intensifies things. That would be my guess. But it's hard to measure – intensity across the ages uh, so how do you measure how intense things were in 1860 in south carolina I don't, obviously pretty intense because body they, counts <laughs> well yeah yeah they paid for it they surely did yeah yeah so and we have michael bloomberg <laughs> why and now it sounds like we have the governor of uh former governor of massachusetts as well yeah, it's too late it's too late to do that i'm, I'm not sure um yeah I, yeah i don't quite understand the end game unless they think they're going to be a very divided convention which there could be and that biden does not uh although the bleeding seems to stop with biden and uh but couldn't bloomberg be maybe the only person that to date that could make the make the late start opt out early situation because he has so much money yeah he can just buy you know i mean i like it would only cost him like i forget something like to buy enough votes to win, like based on what it cost him in New York to win, it's it's not even, it's just a chunk, like twenty percent of his fortune or something. You just buy, you get like, well, you know, maybe you get some delegates, you pick up some delegates in Alabama, you you know, you pick up some delegates in California. I guess there's a strategy there, and uh, you go to a divided convention, and the idea that, uh, um, you know, let's say Trump still is in pretty good position next summer, and so you need a moderate to go against him. Um, and Biden, you know, falters. Yeah, I guess that. I guess that's the strategy. Maybe Bill Maher said, "Well, if you get to if Bloomberg is down in the stretch, it's Biden, Bloomberg, Warren, Bernie. We don't know what the debates look like, but it won't be a pissing contest." <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot. There's a lot of time between now. And- there is a lot of time. Yeah, I, the other thing, too, is, I mean, you've got to carry the African-American vote if you're a Democrat. And uh, I like Mayor Pete, but I, he, that's not he's not doing great in that demographic. And uh, uh, Joe Biden is probably the one who's most solid there. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see after uh, where we're sitting after South Carolina. That'll be an interesting primary. South Carolina's a primary, right? It's not, yeah, it's not a primary. Conference. I, wouldn't, I would be frustrated if I was in a caucus state because— Especially if you're busy, like it just takes your whole like night. Like, it, it, I mean, states love it because they don't have to pay for it. Okay, right? no. Parties pay for it. You could clear out your calendar to do it. I could. But I could probably <laughs> do it. But I'm just saying, I think most people. Like, I would clear out my calendar to do it. Yeah, I had a meeting every night this week, but I would move the meeting. We would be fun in a caucus. Oh, we would be awesome. great. We could oh, broadcast awesome. from a caucus. Awesome. We could set up a broadcast. Oh, from a that, would be, that would be we so. Would fun. Be, we would be huge in a caucus. That would be so fun. We would own our caucus. We would have so much fun. We'd have like bacon. If Iowa would just be eating bacon and 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 getting getting votes. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Moving it's, people across the room. I like. I love the way. Do you think Pennsylvania will, will like? Do you think? I think it's very possible that it's still alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like two thousand eight. 
Yeah, no. we're still live. No, I think I think I think Pennsylvania is going to matter. I, I don't think anyone, you know, it, there's going to be. I, I think it's going to be a th- at least a three way race till the end. I really do. So that's what I think. But uh, you know, I just I just saw that Jason Michelli popped on, and yeah. I I knew here comes the scarf comment. It is. I, I should have said it. I should have. I should have. Made it audible, but I didn't. But there it is. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, if it's a poll, only if in, if it's in if it's a cold weather yeah, impeachment. Season. Yeah. Right. If we were, if it was, uh, we did not wear them. I did not wear it during uh, during the uh, hot days, the dog days of summer. But you know, it's uh, tis the season. Yeah. It's cold here. Man. It is really cold. Yeah. Yeah. Although I was up in uh, the Catskills and it was nine degrees. I was hiking in the Catskills and the windchill was nine degrees. Wow. Yeah. That's- <laughs> That's something. <laughs> layers, just do layers. It's you are good. really something. I don't know if something was great. It was beautiful, actually. So yes, tis the season for the scarf, and tis the season. And congratulations, Jason, on your World Series win, Washington yeah. Nationals. Yeah, it's good for DC. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's good to have a team that isn't a racist team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the running. I like the presidents. I like the presidents running after each other. I like yeah, that. yeah, uh, it's nice. Uh, no, it's good. It's good. It's nice. Yeah. So, yeah, anything else going on in the world that's interesting? Uh, lots of stuff going uh, Australia's on fire, literally. Jason Michelle says from Facebook Live, we, we should get Bradley A. Todd on to talk Pennsylvania and the Trump voter. We're, we're going to get right on that. Cut, get our producer, Mr. Producer, Mr. Okay. Producer, <laughs> Mr. Producer. We're getting we're, Baba Booey, Baba Booey. Yeah, we, go. we need that. We need one of those. Yeah. Matter of fact, I can just, I'm going to Chambersburg tomorrow. I can just throw a couple in the back of the truck and bring them back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are a lot of Trump voters. No, yeah, you, you'll be, you'll be all, they'll be all over the place. I'm gonna, saturated. I'm going to be, I'm going to be surrounded for the next, as I move my mom. Yeah. No. So, yeah. Yeah. No, you'll I, be saturated. Saturated. Yeah. I, I, uh, in, in enemy territory when I'm there. Love yeah. the people, love the community, but, um, not so thrilled with their politics. It yeah. is red. Monongahelia red. It bleeds red. It does. Well, yeah, it is South Central. And, it, you know, it's always been. It's always been uh, extremely right wing. Yep. So, anyway. Anyway, on to the fourth century. Continuing to talk about the romance of orthodoxy. And we are talking about the arch her- heretic, the Mac Daddy of the heretics, the, her- the hierarchical. Hier- hierarchical hier- hier- uh, there was this term I found. Somebody said that. Heriarch, the Heriarch, the Heriarch, the Heriarch, yes. that would be Aries. And so behind us in the background is my attempt to find something relevant. And this is something that allegedly in Bill's church history books, it didn't happen, but in mine, it did. <laughs> uh, if you're, if you're watching on Facebook live behind us, our background is St. Nicholas allegedly punching Arius at the council of Nicaea. It, I mean, running around, giving all those kids Christmas presents and he had time to slap heretics. Uh, Where would the Christian faith be without a model like that? I actually think many of you should think about including this in this year's Christmas pageant. St. Nicholas punching Arius. The kids would love it. The kids would love it, yeah. I, I mean, the age of Trump, I would think this would put asses in the seats. <laughs> and you could have St. Nicholas go, and because of, you know, because of this doctrine, we could say Merry Christmas. Because of me and Trump, my doctrine, and Trump's freedom, we could say Merry Christmas. There we go. I like St. Nicholas's Trump. You could do that. You could have a, so, You could. And that's why we could say Merry Christmas. You know, it's particularly dangerous that someone could be just passing through, watch a minute of us, and think they actually... And <laughs> know what we're talking about. <laughs> Scroll through. I, could just, we could, I have a feeling there are certain churches in this area that they could be on their banners, banner next uh, week. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, we had a great idea. We got a great idea from these guys. The live, <laughs> uh, the live Christmas crash this <laughs> year, including... <laughs> 
Saint Nicholas attacking heretics and liberals. If any of them are around, yeah, uh, that's pretty great. That's good. That's good. We could yeah. sell that idea. We should Jeffers. copyright this. Jeffress. All right, yeah. Michelle, if Michelle is listening. He's probably already. You could do it. He's yeah. already incorporated. He's it. tweeting it out right now. <laughs> anyway, all right. So the fourth century, um, and this really, in many ways, is the controversy that defines what subsequently is Orthodox Christianity. It's, I mean, this is out of this debate is where we get the Nicene Creed. It's actually the Nicene-Constantinople Creed because the one we say is is what was adopted in 381, I think, is the year, something like that. The original Council of Nicaea is 60 years earlier. So the church fights about this for 60 years, and uh, and uh, there's a, for a while, uh, the all the emperors are Constantine's sons are Arian in their theology or in their leaning. Uh, so there's a sense where what becomes the orthodox position is in an embattled situation for a number of years. You think Trump would be like, I love Arian theologians. Sounds good to be. Ivan Kazarian. I mean, it's a, it's a great right. kind of theologian. Yeah, he likes those. those, those Arians big, are the best. Those big German tribes, those exactly. big barbarian tribes exactly. were Arian, yeah. Uh, matter of fact, they're still Aryan. I mean, the uh, because Paula uh, White, look at her tall, yeah, she's, blonde, she's now, Aryan. <laughs> all my theologians, all my family are Aryans, yeah. except maybe Eric and uh, Junior. The the, the kind of don't count. <laughs> right. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. So, Basically, what you have, the situation coming into the fourth century is, you know, we've been talking about these different controversies, and every time you solve a problem, or every time you think you've solved a problem, the correction creates new situations. So, uh, without getting into the details of the history, there are all the, all the details, because this is a complicated history. Basically, you have a priest, a presbyter in uh, Alexandria. It was tall, very serious reputation. From, from, uh, a lot, from, uh, Libyan. He was a Libyan. Yeah, and yeah. very on the aesthetic side. People he, say he was. Yeah, uh, and he um, and part of this, you know, controversy is born out of ecclesiastical politics. It has to do with 
during uh, some of the last persecutions that were going on in the eastern part of the empire, there was a controversy about bishop succession in Alexandria. One of the bishops had fled the persecutions. There was another one who was ordained and said of him. Then you had two lines of apostolic succession. So like all church problems, um, it's never just about the ideas. So there are, in many ways, this is a battle between uh, allegiances to, to different bishops. And Arius challenges his bishop who had ordained him. Today, are there any church controversies that are about ideas? <laughs> yeah, I hope so, yeah. So there's part of this about allegiances and friendships and relationships. It's also controversy around biblical interpretation. It's not accidental, I don't think, that Arius trained under the leading biblical scholar of uh, his time in uh, in Antioch, but who later on is is condemned as well. So there's a biblical interpretation. This Bible, they'll be fighting over the same text during this whole controversy over the next 60 years. It's about Bible. It's about uh, allegiances, uh, defending your allegiance to your bishop. Uh, part of the problem, too, is that there's a shift in worldview. There's, there's a sense where the old Middle Platonic Logos theology stops working for a number of different reasons. Part of it has to do with the sense of the, um, and, and some people say it's because of Neoplatonism for other reasons, but this idea of the exaltation of the one. You know, there's a sense where the, the singularity of God is a very important idea in in the fourth century. And, and that may be in part a reaction to Gnosticism, uh, this could be also a debate. You know, the Reformation's debate of a proper interpretation of Augustine. The uh, the Arian controversy is really maybe a controversy about origin, different ways of talking about origin. So there's a lot of antecedents about it. But ultimately, it comes down to Arius taught and believed, and believed this was a historical faith, and criticized Athen or not Athanasius, but Alexandria, the Bishop of Alexandria, uh, criticized his view, and Arius taught that. Uh, there was a time when the sun was not. The, the sun was created uh, before um, before everything else everything was created. Else. Yes. But the, the sun is not co-substantial with the Father in the sense that it's not co-eternal. There was a time when the sun was not. He is, be, he is the begotten son of God. Now, not any kind of generation, but that God created the sun. Maybe that's the first act of creation, the creation of the sun before history. Uh, the other thing that this subsequently is death and taxes. Yeah, and the other thing that Arius takes off the table and his followers take off the table is in the past, um, Origen and other people in the second, third century could talk about the sun as being the logos of God or the wisdom of God. There's a Sophia kind of Christology as well. Arius teaches, and Arius is. I'd be into a Sophia Loren Christology. <laughs> that would be the one I would. Like. Yeah. But God has God's own wisdom and God's own word are belong to God Himself, the the, the Monad, the One. That there is, that the Logos that is the Christ that in the second person, the wisdom that's a different kind. That's not the same as the uh, as the Logos or the wisdom of God. So Christ is a Logos of God, but not the Logos of God in the sense of God's word Himself, God's wisdom Himself. That God is self-contained. Now, what's the later the later Arians? This really becomes more of a philosophical argument, and sometimes it's taught when it's taught poorly. It's taught that Arius was concerned about uh, philosophy, but that's probably true of some of the later uh, Arians. And so, when you have Ambrose and Augustine speaking against the Arians, it's a more philosophical kind of argument. 
But probably at the heart of what was going on with the Aryan controversy is, is what's the nature of salvation? And certainly the anti-Aryans, that's one of their chief concerns, okay? You know, what is, what, how are we saved? For Arius and the Arians, the idea that Christ, part of salvation is Christ has to be a model for us. Christ is, uh, is as Christ is a created, cre- created being, a great creature, you could call him a creature, that Christ's obedience to God even though God foreordains it, is still a way of of seeing our salvation. So there's a sense where their salvation is a little more from the uh, from the ground up in that way. It's interesting that while you could say that that Arius is neither you know again docetic or adoptionist, he kind of includes some of the worst of both, right? Because the real divinity is anti-worldly, right? It's right. It, it, you can't have this sort of God with this sort of folksy intimacy in the Hebrew Bible, right? Right. But also, it kind of gives you the salvation of, it gives you the kind of metaphysics of the docetism and the Gnosticism on one level with the salvation of the of the adoptionism on the other. It's 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 an interesting kind of hybrid. Well, but also you can say that it, well, it's attempt to try to protect the unity of, of God. Yeah, and, over and against, too, in the Eastern Church, right? Sibelianism, yeah, yeah. modalism is a... I mean, the, the, the Arius is one in the many problem. If, if modalism yeah. sacrifices, it, it deals with the one and the many by making everything the one, Arius kind of cedes to the many, right? And so there's there's yeah. there's different kinds of, of divinity and really one ultimate source and the other are sort of sub, rather than rather than the Father, Son, Spirit, the modalist way, all being the same kind of really just different master roles for the same. Yeah, I think it's also Arius is trying to, I think, clean up, well, or he represents that kind of, Christology that tries to clean up this kind of gradation of the divinity. You know, in other words, um, you know, Christians say no to emanation, but some of these hierarchical views of, you know, the Father, you know, how the Son proceeds with the Father. And Although say, you can't call Bill your eminence in yeah. a pinch. He'll allow it in a pinch. So, generally in small groups. Yeah, so there's this, there's a sense where um, you can't really get away with that kind of the way, uh, you know, Origen's idea of... of uh, the kind of the way God moves downward uh, can't really you can't do that anymore with with maybe because of Neoplatonism, but maybe just because there's a sense of the the inherent problems and in, of protecting the oneness of God in, in the system. And of course, you know they're arguing around you know what do you do with all those sent those texts, particularly in the Gospel of John, where Jesus you know is is clearly subordinating himself to to the Father and. And um, so those those are all you know the, the ignorance of Jesus. What do you do about the fact he didn't know some things? There's certain there becomes a whole bunch of biblical passages that become involved in this argument, and so that so that's you know Arius uh, doesn't live very long. I mean he um, uh, he appeals once when Santa Claus slaps you, you're gone. <laughs> well, he's an old man when this thing starts happening, uh, but uh, ironically. You know, the Council of Nicaea condemns Arius. Uh, there are several bishops who refused to uh, sign it, including Eusebius and Nicomedia, who uh, becomes, he is the bishop who baptizes Constantine on his deathbed. Uh, and who's a, well, who hasn't done that? Huh? Who hasn't done that? <laughs> well, it was my old job. Right. But there's a sense, Eusebius of Caesarea, who, who's not a supporter of the Nicene Creed, comes back to his church and says, "Hey, we just I we I signed it, but they agree exactly with what we agree." So the Arius problem doesn't get solved at the Council of Nicaea, but the Council of Nicaea and, and is where we begin to get a grammar about this issue of the relationship between the Father and the Son. And what the Council of Nicaea does is is 
introduces this idea that the father and the son are of one substance. Homo uzian, as opposed to homo uzian. Yeah, which means added iota, like, like like right. Which um, that one iota made a difference. Yeah, so there's a sense where um, get it instead of it doesn't make one iota of difference. I got one iota. (laughs) The iota. Everything was hanging on the iota. Yeah, we're not even. There's a lot of debate where that word term come even comes from. Yeah, there's there's this one theory. uh, It's a conspiracy theory, uh, deep state dark history theory that some bishop from Spain introduced it, but we don't really we know work. Never trumper bishop. He was a never trumper. So this idea where exactly where do you draw the line? I mean, in terms of the the that which is created and uncreated, uh, and what is the relationship of the father and and son uh, in the the divine plane, and why is that important? That may be the bigger question, because one can argue that in terms of we, you and I were talking about this, because we were were using Schleiermacher's model, we talked about using that for heresy, but uh, Arius is... uh, conspicuously absent from uh, Schleimacher's uh, categories of heresy. Uh, and that might be because... Uh, yeah, I mean... It could be that Schleimacher is kind of arrogant. That's I mean, what it could well, be. It could well, be. Could I mean, be. Schleimacher wouldn't... I don't think he would. Well, I think a lot of modernist uh, theology is because they don't... They ultimately deny it. There's a kind of denial of the divinity. Schleimacher is afraid, though, that if you get too Trinitarian, you'll be subordination. I mean, he seems more like Sibelian, although there are, uh, he writes about Sibelius. He tries to say that what Sibelius is doing isn't what people think he is, because Schleimacher thinks that if you really get too Trinitarian in your thinking, then you'll be subordination. Then Jesus really won't be God. He, he's actually afraid of something like Arianism. Yeah, right. So his, he thinks you'll get Arian piety, which he thinks will really tumble the whole Christian experience down. But you know, it's interesting. Like, see if it's uh, Fitzsimmons Allison in his book The Cruelty of Heresy talks about he would divide up his seminary students and have one side argue for Arius and one side argue for Athanasius and he said inevitably every year all the Arians had the better more arguments until it got to what about being saved what about like, <laughs> <laughs> right and how could we be really saved by if only God can save us because, so like you said, all these arguments that what about the ignorance of Christ, right, about right, these te- no. texts that seem to, yeah. Yeah. Well, by the way, you mentioned Athanasius, which we should. Athanasius becomes the champion uh, of the Nicene Creed, which really is the creed of the Alexandrian. And he, Alexander, his bishop, when he, he dies, uh, he takes up his mantle. So that's part of why this is very personal for Athanasius. And uh, Athanasius, we could do 12 shows at Athanasius most colorful figures in the history of Christianity. But Athanasius, part of what the Alexandrian uh, school wants to hold on to, around the Alexandrian faith, is this idea in some levels of the crucified God, this idea yeah. of, of uh, that God came down, that salvation is not something that comes from the bottom up, but that um, we wants to really defend the incarnation as being really God in the flesh, um, and that that really is a lot in many ways the the heart of what you know Alexandrian uh, Christianity was Christology was about, and really what was at stake for uh, the Nicene party. Yeah, and also I think it's interesting. Like if if the adage is true, we become like what we worship, right? right, right. Well, what does it mean to become like the Arius's object of worship? So if you think of like what broadly you know modern psychologists tell us, right, we go from sort of dependency, a healthy, a sort of dependency in infancy, right, in childhood, to like independency in adolescence, right? We break away. And then in adulthood, you know, when you, the mark of like health in adulthood is a kind of creative interdependency or de- a creative dependency where 
it's not codependent, but there is a opening up to being vulnerable. Right. So like, so if everything we see at the self giving of God for the other is all not the real God, right? Right. Then then can something like creative dependency really ever be? If you if you become like what you worship, what we know is sort of the kind of mark of what we think is is some of the best about human life. It's really what we we'd have to we we want to not <laughs> to be like God would not be be to not be like that. But if but you know Bart says in Church of Doug Max for one that God is nowhere higher than in His humility. So if 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 the Alexandrian party of Athanasius is right, you can really say that there's a vulnerability in God. There's a self giving. Right. What we see in the cross, what we see in the incarnation, in, in the self emptying, what we see in the in the giving, it's really we're talking not about the second tier God or or, or the first created being of the, the true God, but it's really divine. Yeah. And that really, I mean, there are all kinds of controversy. I mean, how, working out this Christology, you know, you can argue it maybe never gets totally worked out in the Eastern Church. We'll work it out next year. Yeah, but the sense it's of— our next series. But the, the dynamic implications of the Incarnation, this will, you know, there'll be different ways this gets debated, but there's a sense where, as this gets argued, and, and, and Athanasius— um, is in many ways improved and corrected by the by the Cappadocian fathers taking up his cause, uh, and uh, the Cappadocian uh, Basil uh, and the two Gregories, um, and in a sense, what you what you do, and and if you would, the logical conclusion off of of an extreme Arianism is is a kind of is a Unitarianism, and you can almost get a God who is, you know, the, the always the problem of the distant God from creation. Okay, uh, that. God, uh, you know, needed an. In some levels, the the in Arianism, you get back to that old idea. Well, God needs an intermediary, if you would, to create because of the distance between between God and 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 the creation. But when you have the unity of the Creator and the Creator, you know, creation. When you have that kind of coming together, then there's a powerful. Um, there is a there is a powerful opportunity for the transformation the transformation of nature and transformation of human nature as well. And part of what the Cappadocians do is by by defending a monotheism in a trinitarian in a trinitarian way, then you then you create a dynamic one. It's a one of relationship. And of course, that's you know part of one of the most interesting uh, reappropriations of classical theology has gone on over the last you know thirty years or so. The idea of the economic trinity being rediscovered and the idea that that God's oneness is defined in relationship and a dynamicness of, and that that's really um, the, the part of the, being created in the image of God is is literally being created, and uh, that's what's going on. You know, in Genesis one can be in two can be read really as a reflection of um, the Imago Dei as being the dynamic nature of the love relationship in the Triune God. Yeah, it's uh, you know. The perennial problem of the one and the many, and I think that right the Cappadocians have a way into it that that makes sense of reality. Yeah. Now, now one thing I think is it's kind of as an aside because you still get this. I mean, you still see this where people say, "Well, this is a class we I can't make sense." You know, even today, I mean, I, or when you do the Nicene Creed, those words that are very important in the context of the argument in the fourth century, light of light, and things like that, uh, begotten, not made. Um, they don't have the same kind of philosophical, existential, whatever you want to call them, weight for us in this age. And there's a tendency for some people to say, well, see, we've this- got to make Nicaea great again. <laughs> there are some people say this is an example how philosophy, you know, corrupted, um, corrupted the, the church and that 
It's kind of this whole Trinitarian thing is philosophical speculation away from the pure religion of Jesus. Um, That's why we need Paula White, because she does not read philosophy. <laughs> or theology. Yeah, right. right. Or, or not much of the Bible yeah, either. No, no. no. But, uh, but the truth of the matter, if you really get into the weeds of, the, of, the, uh, of this debate, which I have over the years, it, there's a lot of argument about how you interpret the Bible. And the fact is, you, you, you use the tools that you have to interpret the Bible. So the fact is, for instance, we cannot help but use um, uh, the influences of not only modern biblical scholarship and the current philosophical framework frameworks that we all live under, but also the profound influence of a you know a psychological you know approach to human uh, development, and human behavior. I mean, we can't help but use, and we should be using the tools, the best tools that are available for us to make sense of the faith and make sense of the text. That's what's happening in the fourth century. Fortunately, I think for orthodoxy. You know, three of the smartest Christians that ever lived, um, I, most really, you know, were, and they not only were really bright, but they were deeply spiritual men. And uh, at least one of them was one of the, one of the most able church leaders uh, of any day. Uh, that you know, these folks, in the context of fighting uh, for the Cappadocians, it wasn't about relationships. It was about what is the truth of the church and what is the ongoing tradition and what is what is the really faith that has been given to us. And they use the best tools of their time uh, to interpret the Bible and to make sense of this. Yeah, David Yeager, Lutheran theologian, who's now Roman Catholic, I think, but wrote this essay in a book on I think like Stephen Fowles, Fowles, maybe like at some biblical interpretation. But he talks about how what he sees in Nicaea is the church fathers trying to render the same judgments they're seeing in the broad scope of the New Testament with a different language and framework. Yep. But they're using a different framework to try to render the same judgment. Right. And and you can and as you say, I mean, if you look at Arius as a particular soteriology of how we are saved and we want to say no to that, well then there's different versions of that we say no to at different yeah. times. So I you know, I think for, you know, sometimes people say well the Mormons are the uh are the new Arians. And and there are some very there is some Jehovah's Witness too, maybe. Yeah. There's Although some, what if Arius had had Prince? <laughs> I might have changed. I might have turned the tide. I don't man. know. I don't know. But I'll be I, I would have. I said, well, I don't want to listen to you, Aries, but let me hear this out. Let exactly. Me hear, let me hear your disciple play play this out. Uh, a matter of fact, there is a. It's ironic you say that there is a work of Arius that was written in rhyme. Now, allegedly, it was written by him and written in rhyme. Rhyme, and it's reproduced some of Athanasius's work. So he could have, if Prince had written that, oh. play, it would have been so much better. Maybe he could have won. But at any rate. Uh, this is a very important topic. It's a topic that's very complicated. We, I feel we did a very light version of it, but the sense of, for us, the, I mean, for me, the heart of the romance of orthodoxy is the Trinitarian faith. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think if, if you're not Trinitarian, you know, you may be right, um, but you're not Christian. That's, that's, I mean, I think it's that, I think the whole thing, that and the, you know, the Christology. If being Trinitarian is wrong, I don't want to be right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, any rate, uh, if there are questions or, or things you want us to explore further from this subject, we certainly could do a second one or some follow-up Absolutely. on this. Let us know that, okay? And and say, if there are critiques, target them at Bill on social media. Yeah, that's, he I, loves that. I love that. I live for that. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then... Thanks for listening, and God bless.